Amen and amen. Praise the Lord.
be seated. Beautiful, beautiful worship. I remember many years ago, we were in Dufferin Street. And in those days, I used to prepare my notes. I had a lot of notes. I'd prepare my notes. And um, that night in Dufferin Street, I decided that I would preach, um, preach on prayer. And so, made my notes up, got in charge. And as we started the service, in the middle of the worship, all hell broke loose in the nursery. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anyone that was in Dufferin Street at that time could remember, but all hell broke loose. The kids, everyone, start to scream. And it was because I was to preach on prayer. And so few times I would ever want to talk about prayer and put a note down. So I'm showing Brother Sam. I said, I put some scriptures together and some notes uh, together. And then I asked Nadine to play that song that says, Do It Again, Lord. And I'll tell you a little bit about that. But um, the point that I put here first thing was prayer. And then the internet, Facebook, and everybody shuts down. I know by these little occurrences, they are not accidental. But God has been with us over the years. And I've discovered that. I've discovered when people try to avoid me, they're either possessed or non-elect. It is important that when you're a minister or you're an elder, and you have to minister that before you come to church that day, you need to soak yourself in prayer. Because intelligence is not what uh, the true word of God is promoted by. Prayer is of absolute importance. Prayer is of absolute importance. And so, unless you pray, and have an anointing, uh, you will be what I would classify a dud in the pulpit. You would have words, but it would not generate life. And for years, I would go to a convention and I'd sit in a big meeting, five, six hundred people in a meeting, and a man gets up to preach, and he would get up there and talk for an hour, maybe an hour and 15 minutes or something like that. But my mind goes blank if all he's teaching is an educational talk. Religious, but from a carnal mindset, my mind goes blank. And if he makes one statement with a spiritual motivation, I pick that up. It is easy for me to, I, I pick that up. And so my mind, I listen with my ears physically, I listen with my mind physically, but I listen with my heart spiritually. And if a man is promoting just the letter, my heart does not respond to that. The same goes for an article that I may, might be reading. There was a time when I would read five or six books, uh, one Sometimes I read two or three books together. One today, a little chapter, and then another chapter in another book. But I find as I grow older in the Lord, a carnal writing 
does not inspire me. That's me. That's not everybody. If you were me and going to university, you might never graduate. But I get inspired by spiritual writing when a man writes with an anointing and a spirit behind it, it edifies me. Otherwise, it's just reading material. And so this is important. Now that song we were singing, that Nadine, you made that song, right? That chorus. She wrote a song and it was from a little story that we were reading. And um, I read this years ago. Uh, a, a Bible school group of individuals were in England, right? They were in England and they, they did a tour. You know, they have field trips. And so they did a field trip, a bunch of Bible school students, and they went to visit John Wesley. Uh, John Wesley was one of the reformers. They went to visit his house. And so the whole group went into this house and they visited the house and uh, they were all going through different places. And um, when they were done, they all headed back to the touring bus. And when they were in the touring bus, uh, the person uh, in charge of the group started to count heads and there was one person missing. And there was a person missing. And so they said, okay, let's go back into the house to see that person is in the house. And when they went next to John Wesley's bed was a carpet. And earlier they were shown where he used to kneel and pray. And the two spots that his knees would kneel on was worn out. When they went back into the house, there was a young student kneeling on the same spot. And praying, saying, do it again, Lord. very sentimental and when they look there he was on his knees praying do it again lord do it again lord and that man turned out to be the famous world evangelist dr billy graham and you know today i thought about it it's uh, ramadan with the muslims and when there's not Ramadan, Muslims pray five times a day. It is their religion to pray five times a day. The Jews pray three times a day. And I thought about this when Brother Sam was preaching last night. The Jews, talking last night, uh, the Jews pray three times a day. That's what Daniel did. And various religions, Hindus, they pray ceremoniously at certain times. The only people that really don't pray because they can come and make noise and make a lot of action and do a lot of preaching are Christians. Even the Catholics have a system of prayer. And that is why you can't convert a Muslim easily. Because they have soaked themselves in their prayer and become a part of their religion with sincerity. The reason why Christians can't soak themselves in Christianity and be faithful is because we do not pray. And if I were to ask you today, did you pray? 
Now, one of the things Jesus said, he says, be not like the hypocrites in Matthew, the sixth chapter. He says, be not like in the hypocrites. And maybe we'll look at some of that here in Matthew, the sixth chapter and verse five. Jesus says, when thou prayest, he says, be not as the hypocrites are. Be not as the hypocrites are. Verse five, he says, and when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues, in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, that they shall have their reward. Uh, Jesus is telling us that prayer should not be something that's made known. Now occasionally as a pastor, I will tell you that I, I find time to pray for each one of you. And uh, this morning, Sis Indira, she's not well, she's home. And I talked to her and I said to her, I said, I think I will be fasting and praying for you. And I really mean that. Because fasting and praying does wonders. I've seen individuals, remember the name Dennis Baggett, that lives in Brampton? I've seen that man rise up from a crippled position in his bed. In my younger days, I was not even married at that time. But fasting and praying for that man that was sent home to be a cripple until he died, rose up from that bed. In 10 days, he was out of his bed and walking. And when I met him, after we prayed for him, 10 days after, I was in a youth camp coming back home. Uh, this young man walked up with glasses on, walked up to me, and he says, you remember me? Where do I know this man from? He says, you don't recognize me. I, I said, no. He says, I'm the guy you pray for uh, uh, 10 days ago. And that's I letter Kenny or somewhere. He says, you remember you prayed for me. And uh, here I am. And I was myself amazed because sometimes you pray, you don't know what God can do. And I've seen that happen. Uh, when we prayed for Dennis back at that day, and not only was he healed, but that was the day that I had two demonic manifestations as we continue to visit. Uh, demons would react in individuals. And so I've learned over the years that when you pray, it develops a relationship with God, less confidence in you, greater confidence in God. But you don't pray to let the world know that you pray. The prayer, the effectual prayer, uh, the scripture says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And when you pray, it will have a result. Uh, when you get up, you might just say a few words, but your words will reach on in into the lives of the people and change their lives. When you have not prayed and you try to uh, testify or preach, it will be the letter that is going out and it will kill people that believe in you. Spiritually, it will be producing, if I'm a pastor and I don't pray and I'm trying to preach, my church will be a house of zombies, spiritually speaking. Prayer is important. And so Jesus said here in verse 6, When thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut the door, pray to the Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward you openly. He says, and when the, you pray, use not vain repetitions. And a lot of times 
uh, we use repetition, vain repetitions, which is not really scriptural. Uh, we, uh, you know, we, the word hallelujah is like a word that has been abused by Christians. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. No sincerity. It becomes a, just a phrase or a word being said. It becomes a vain repetition if you don't understand the meaning of the word hallelujah or praise God, praise God, praise God. It becomes vain repetition. It will be something that hypocrites will do to make them feel good and not God. Uh, this morning, one of my brothers sent me a video and I have not looked at it yet. I will look at it later on. But um, someone sent me a video and they expect me to say, well, that is so wonderful that the spirit is moving. I looked at the picture. I didn't click the video on because I already know what is going to be there. It's going to be a bunch of brothers jumping and praising God and calling it the spirit of God. And today I plan when I look at it, I'll ask the brother, I'll send a message back to him. And there's where I become unpopular. Ask him what he thinks this is, Spirit of God or the flesh or carnival or a voodoo ceremony. It is important that God who is a spirit be worshipped with the right spirit. And so prayer is an important element. Uh, prayer, when Jesus made statements like this, and I'm not going to a lot of scriptures here today, but when Jesus made statements like this, he says, uh, love your enemies, pray for them that despitefully use you. What is that supposed to be? Pray that God break their legs? Uh, pray that God bless them. When you pray for your enemies, your attitude will change towards your enemy. If you have an enemy and you pray for your enemy for one day, for two days, you pray for your enemy for a month, you will find your attitude to that person that you call an enemy once is, gonna, go, is going to change. And it would not be your enemy anymore. It's going to be a change uh, atmosphere altogether. God will help you. You understand what I'm saying? And so it is important to understand these things. And so Jesus went on here in verse 7. When you pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathens do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be, be, be not ye therefore like unto them. For your Father which knoweth uh, what things you have need of before you ask him. After this manner, Jesus said, pray, and then he gives the Lord's Prayer. What I'm saying is, it's important to understand what prayer is all about. And I would li like to tell you that God, you know, we have a saying that they have individuals will have a little uh, quotation says, God answers prayers. Have you ever seen that? God answers prayers. Well, here I'm going to tell you something that contradicts that. God does not answer all prayers. As a matter of fact, most of the prayers prayed today are saying prayers rather than praying prayers. And God does not answer all prayers. If you pray contrary to his will, he will not answer you. If you pray, if one of the people in Hebrews 11 chapter that was held in, 
in, uh, in, uh, as a prisoner and they see their children would go out to be fed to the lions and they were praying save them from the lions, they would not be saved. Daniel was saved from the lions, but not everyone would be saved from martyrdom. God's will must be accomplished. If you have a disease in your body and a sickness in your body and God has placed that there because of your rebellion and your own attitude to life, and God is using that to change you and to work a perfection in your life, you can pray that God remove that and it will not be removed. In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, uh, let me see what I want here. He says, um, where is that? Where he says, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, one page over, there we go. Uh, Paul says, he says, he knows a man who was caught up to third heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now this church in uh, Corinth, the church at Corinth was already backslidden and Paul was trying to save it. Your Bible has epistles that are written to churches that were already backslidden. When Paul wrote the letter to the churches of Galatia, uh, four churches in Galatia, they were already gone, undermined by the devil. When John received the seven the letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor, five of those churches had the workings of Satan in the church. Uh, the church, by the time uh, Paul had come to the end of his life, the church at Jerusalem was undermined. The church at Colossae was starting to be undermined. The church of Thessalonica had become a backslidden church and worldly. Every church that God started in the New Testament apostatized after years. And the devil successfully undermined the church, not to close the doors down, but to pervert the church from within, made the church into a social club where holiness was not important, worldliness was accommodated. The flood of ungodliness entered into every one of those churches. A prayerless church is a powerless church. A prayerless individual is a powerless individual. A prayerless home is a powerless home. A prayerless preacher is a dud. I don't care how beautiful he can talk. I don't care how educated his speech is. The other day I was trying to read an article from someone and I had to pull my dictionary out to read it. And when I pulled my dictionary out, the big word I was looking at was incorrectly used. So did I just put a note and say you did a wrong word? No, the, it was written to impress the readers, not convert them. And that is why it is important when you're writing, write in such a way, Brother Joe is my scribe, uh, you write in such a way that it inspires people because the Holy Ghost touches your pen. When men were men of the Holy Ghost, men were moved of old. I find that scripture in Peter. It says, holy men of old were moved as the Holy Ghost touched them. I know I'm all over and I've got 20 minutes uh, to go on this lesson here today. Uh, but in, in 2 Peter, I think it is in 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, chapter 1. Uh, it says um, in verse 20, 
2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. It says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is meant for private interpretation. It means I can't just fiddle around the scripture and hope to interpret it. I need to pray that God touched my mind as he touched the, men, the mind of the men, the men that wrote. I must pray that I'm not interpreting the scripture with a private interpretation. That is why God has raised up anointed preachers, that they can decipher what was written. And he says, the Holy Spirit, knowing this, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old times by the will of man. And today, preachers are preaching from the will of man. You can use the scriptures and still it becomes the will of man. It is something when you stand up, and I was telling our elders yesterday that when they stand to preach, uh, they must stand and don't lock, they be locked into some notes. You need to have notes, but don't be locked into the notes. Stand up and let God touch your mind. Because if the people would receive any blessing at all, God must touch your mind and he must inspire you to be able to decipher uh, what you're saying from scripture and preach to the people that it would meet the needs of the people listening to you. I'm not here to educate you. I'm here preaching and hoping that God by his spirit would illuminate you. Uh, change your mind, change your way of thinking, and conversion will become noticeable. We can make a nice good social club here in Mississauga. Have our sisters cater how you dress. Our sister Chandra is not here today. She wanted to come. I told her it's not time for her to come. Uh, she needs to stay a little longer home and uh, keep that uh, restraining thing for her leg on and and god is working in that there was a reason for everything uh when god brings something in your life there's a reason nothing happens with by accident and so i told her to stay home for a while but uh, wouldn't that be something if she become a fashion woman if she reaches out to france and paris and see if she can get some designers clothes and bring it in and then Joanne starts to pick that up and Nadine starts to pick that up and poor sister Dorcas has the pressure to pick some of that up coming in with long boots and fancy clothes. Then we, before you know it, we have a competition here. We come to show off what we've got on the outside and no one has the cleansing on the inner man on the inside. The church has lost its purpose over the years. We're here and pray that God will restore what the church was meant to accomplish. Change our lives. <clears throat> Not reform us, but transform us. Everybody say transform. transform. You see, what we do, we cater for the outer man. But God has a problem reaching into the inner man because we are blocking the spirit from reaching in to change our lives with our mechanical operations. That is why this church is blessed not to have a ban for two years. Yes, sir. You're blessed. And then by then, by the, th by the time we're ready to have a ban and bring in some music, you would understand the importance of worship. And if you don't pray, pray before you play, you will not bless the people. You will put demons on them. 
So every one of you that's in the band, Nadine, for now, JJ, Sister Carol, three members in the band, and the flasher upper, we need to pray before we come and play. All David had was a, uh, was a, a harp. And he played on his harp. And when King Saul was possessed by demons, David would come and he didn't need a big band. He needed an anointing on his life. Amen. And he would play on that harp. And maybe the Lord is my shepherd. And not boogie woogie. And the Lord is my shepherd. And while he was playing, demons would leave King Saul. The man would receive deliverance. And you'll be surprised to know how many individuals can receive deliverance when a message is going forward if your heart is open up to receive it. And so, Paul uh, had a thorn in the flesh here in, in um, second, uh, um, is it um, second Corinthians chapter 12? Second Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul says, there was given unto me. He says, um, he says, um, uh, he's, lest, verse 7, lest I should be exalted. Here was a problem given to a man of God to keep him from sinning. He says, lest I should be exalted above measure. See, exaltation, personal exaltation and personal glory. A minister should not want that. If a minister fails to die to the lust of the flesh and the carnal desires, he would not generate life to the people. And if Sister Chandri became a fashion design person and I become a fashion design preacher, uh, your congregation would be infected by that worldly spirit that gets a hold of you. And when you look at me, my pants has one seam that you can cut yourself with. Uh, my hair is well groomed and all I'm standing up there to you see and that is why that is what Israel had for hundreds of years and when God wanted to send a man he sent John the Baptist son of a preacher into the wilderness to train him he was the son of a priest Zacharias was his father and when John was sent into the wilderness it's because God wanted a pin stuck in the spiritual ego of Israel and their religious hypocrisies. And so when John came out of the wilderness, he didn't dress with white cotton. He didn't have a priestly garment. He didn't do according to the traditional of the tradition of the Levites. He was dressed in a camel hair coat. He had to clean at the dry cleaners before he came out in public. Now he was like a wild man. When his father saw him, I'm sure Zacharias would hide. He would not want Annas. If Zacharias was walking one day with Annas the high priest and they see John the Baptist coming down, he can say, Miss Papa, brother Annas, can we go this way instead? Why are you doing that? Well, we just want to go this way. He wanted to avoid the embarrassment that John the Baptist was offering. But you know, Jesus said, among them that were born of women, there is not risen a greater than John. Because in that period of time, there was a man, one man sent from God, and his name was John. 
He did not conform to the traditional uh, principles of the fellowship of that time. He was not mechanically produced. As far as he was concerned, the tradition of the, fa of the fathers that was not promoting holiness but self-righteousness was not needed. And so Paul, because God did not want him to be exalted above measure, that is why Paul, when he wrote, he says to Timothy, he says, Are they not a novice? If you take a novice, <clears throat> he will be lifted up with pride and fall into the same condemnation that the devil fell into when he fell because he wanted to be more than he's supposed to be. Few men can handle praise and power and titles without getting exalted in their spirit. Are you listening to me? Amen. Well, listen to me very carefully. And so here, everyone, have our six. Everybody read. Verse six. Sorry, verse seven. And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Who gave him this? God did. Your chastening cannot come from the devil except God permits it. Satan cannot touch your life and make you do anything that you don't want to do. Well, Satan made me do it. No, he did not. Your lust made you do it. All Satan can do is tempt you, but you do because you want to do. You sin because you want to sin. Stop blaming the devil. My favorite word for our, our incompetence. And so we go on here. Paul says, there was given to me. He says, uh, for this thing, verse 8, for this thorn in the flesh, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And what did God say? Nobody, it's not going to go. He said in verse 9, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That is if you turn to God and pursue the right course. If you don't understand, well, I'm sick, I'm there. And that is why today the devil has provided every possible prop and escape route. Even if you have to run to the doctor, remember, the doctor can't heal your spirit. The problem was a result of your wrong spirit. The doctor can heal your body, but he can't heal your rotten, dirty, old, rebellious spirit. The reason why you're sick to begin with was because your spirit was not right. And God loves you. And so because he loves you, he chastises you. You're still following me. We got 10 minutes to go. And so uh, it's important to understand these things. So back here in Matthew chapter 6. And uh, I want to leave Matthew chapter 6 because of time. And I want to come to Luke the 11 chapter a very popular scripture of mine. In Luke the 11 chapter, uh, when we think about prayer. So, if Paul came into the church, before I move on to Luke. If Paul came into the church, and I fasted and prayed for, prayed for 21 days. 
And so Paul comes up and he stands up here and he says, Brother Singh, I hear you have the power to heal. Yes, Brother Paul, I have the gift of healings. Working of miracles. Do you think my working of miracles would heal Paul if God wanted his thorn in the flesh to remain? So God does not answer all prayers. And if you want to say he answers all prayers, it's sometimes yes and sometimes no. And he says, my grace is sufficient, Paul, because I'm saving you. You need that thorn in the flesh. Because God is saving some of you, you need that negative influence in your life to make you stronger. You need the storms in your life so you can set the sail of your ship right and ride out the storm. The mountain that is placed before you, I've never seen anyone move any mountain before. But you can climb it. Or you can tunnel through it. The Red Sea, don't try to move it or go around it. See if God can open the path through that Red Sea. Prayer is everything. And the disciples came to Jesus one day in Luke chapter 1. And it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. Jesus prayed more than anyone else. I've had men in my life that prayed. Not only do the Muslims pray and become faithful to what they're doing. Not only does the, would the Jews pray and become faithful to what they're doing. Or a Catholic pray as so many times a day and becomes faithful to what they're doing. I believe that the Christian ought to pray and become faithful to what they're doing. The reason why we're so fickle as Christians and we backslide and put God on the back burner more than in the first thing, first place in our lives is because we fail to communicate with God. Prayer can do wonders in our lives. Prayer adds stability. And not saying prayer. I'm not talking about blessing your meals. I'm talking about in the mornings. And here I'll expose myself a little bit to you. Not because I want your glory. But this morning at 2.30, I got up and I said, if I go back to sleep, I might sleep to 6.30 and that's too late. So at 2.30, I got up and I sat down in my little corner. Normally, I'll turn the fireplace on. Today, I didn't feel like turning it on. Sat in my little corner and first person that need the prayer is me. First person that need that morning prayer is me. God, I need you. I need you to touch my life that when I open my mouth, I'd only tell the people what you want them to hear. Help me, oh God. That's what I've done. And I'll spend however long it takes to call names of individuals. Whether it's Brother Beer, I'll call his name because he's suffering. Uh, whether it's Sister Polly, your name is always in my mouth. Your name, Sister Phillips, you're always on my, in my mouth. I, I pray for individuals in our local church that need help. People are going through a problem, I pray for. This morning, Sister Chandry was in my prayer. I pray for my family, Nadine and Jeremiah. Number one person on my prayer list uh, is Jeremiah. I pray for all my grandsons and my children in church. I pray for them. Jai, I pray for you all the time. And God will use you. I was hoping to see 
um, uh, James out here today, and I had a feeling that something would come up to hinder him. Fine young man that I can use in the ministry. As soon as you plan to use somebody, the devil comes in and take him away. And I, I have a feeling that God can turn things around. I'm a minister, and if I would be of help to you, you've got to want my help. If you're arrogant and you're self-opinionated uh, self and you're conceited, I can't help you. God would not help you and I can't help you. If you're all in your own little world and you're, you're locked into your own little world, I can't help you. I will help you when you think, when you feel your need for God. And so the disciples came to Jesus. And uh, while he was praying in a certain place, and when he had ceased from praying, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, <clears throat> don't teach us to cast out devils. Don't teach us to, to understand prophecy. Don't teach us to understand, to memorize the scripture from Genesis to wherever. It says, teach us to pray. I remember years ago, someone showed me the complete works of E.M. Bounds on prayer. Thick volume like that big book like this and the person was telling me that this complete works of E.M. Bounds complete works of E.M. Bounds was bound in this book and they were going to start reading that I said well I tell you what you read it I'm going to kneel long and talk to God if it takes you two weeks or three weeks to read that I hope you can talk to God after that I will take Jesus' advice rather than Imbang's advice. I'll take Paul's advice. And to speaking of that, over here in Ephesians, and time is running out of me, so I'll make this quick. Over in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, when Paul is talking, you know, all over the Bible, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Always have your mind on God. If you pray without ceasing, without ceasing, you would not find carnal desires taking a hold of your mind. Pray at all times. Paul said, I wish that men would stand uh, lifting holy hands without wrath to pray, lifting holy hands without wrath and doubting before God. <coughs> Excuse me. He says here in Ephesians chapter 6, where some can have that water. In Ephesians chapter 6, uh, Paul is talking about putting on the whole armor of God. Everyone, verse 11 for me. Let's try that again. <clears throat> okay. Now the devil wants to destroy us. But Paul is telling us, if you want to defeat the devil, you need to put an armor on. Not a literal helmet, not a literal garment. He says, spiritual armor must be put on. And he goes on here, he says, Wherefore, verse 13, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the, uh, in the evil day, and having done all, to stand when it's all over, you're standing. He says, stand fast, having your loins gird about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now I've isolated this, these, and I started in verse 17. The first thing you need 
is the helmet of salvation. Yes, if you're not saved, you're a puppet in the devil's hand. Are you saved? Are you, have you given your life to God? Well, I'm in church for 40 years. I don't care how many years you're in church. Are you saved? Have you hit the altar and says, Lord, I am a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins and help me to serve you. Lord Jesus, take a hold of my life. Start a conversion process in my life. Are you saved? If not, you don't need the rest of the armor because you start with the helmet of salvation. If you're not saved, you can't battle the devil. And then number two, he said here in verse 14, the B part, the breastplate of righteousness. When you're saved, you're not having man's righteousness. You see, I look like a Christian. The suit, the necktie, the white shirt. I had this suit made for me while I was in India. And was a good time. I'll take a little extra time from you today. I had a suit made for me in India. And when I went in, I told them, I said, I want a suit where the pants is not like low. I want the pants high. And I said, keep the measurement. I might ask you to sew another pants. So with my pants, you see this pants here? I'm going to step aside. See here? The waist is on the waist. When the waist is down here, and you got to be dragging it up, it's made for homosexuals. The designers in Hollywood today are sick. And they create designs to cater for the ungodly element out there. A child of God must be careful what you put on and how you carry yourself around. And so I told them in India to make a suit for me. And so they made the suit. There it is. Made in India, Sister Joyce. Makes me holy? No, it does not. You see, the suit is an outward garment. The shirt, the tie, all the looks. It's what condition the heart has that is important. I could be having a new suit. But inside is the old nature. The old man in a new suit. No, I prefer the new man in an old suit. And Jesus makes a difference. Conversion starts that. Helmet of salvation would produce the breastplate of righteousness. Godliness. <clears throat> righteousness comes from God. And if I start to obey God and I start to have a relationship with God, righteousness would be there. So when the devil comes, he doesn't have so much of carnal things to feed on. When he looks at me and he's reading my mind, he's not seeing Hollywood. He's not seeing the sports world. He's not seeing fashion designers. He's seeing the mind of Christ. Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The mind of Christ is being developed because salvation starts 
and then the breastplate of righteousness. Number three, he says the shield of faith. You know, the Bible says, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, here's an ant I got in my pulpit here. I was going to use him as an example. Here is an ant. I just killed him. If you have a faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'll say to the mountain, be thou removed and be cast into yonder sea. I don't want you move a mountain. I want who's got faith here to move this ant from here to here. Who's got faith? Come on. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'll move a mountain. I don't want you to move a mountain. I want you to move an ant from here to here. Someone would say, I can do it. Faith without works is dead. There. Well, try the mountain. It tells us that the world today scarcely have faith. We believe the doctors. We believe the money market. We believe the jobs that we, we are a part of. We believe what the world does. We believe the weatherman. We believe the commercial man. We believe the bank. We believe everything else. We scarcely believe God. We say we are believers. But when the devils believe, they believe and tremble. What happened to God's people? And move on a little further on. It says, number four, your loins, verse 14, gird with the preparation of the gospel of truth. You must have truth, honesty, sincerity, and reality in your life. Don't be a hypocrite. Everyone sitting in this church today is a hypocrite to a certain degree. Some are bigger hypocrites, some are smaller hypocrites. But everyone sitting in this church today, has th you have things in your life that you don't want anyone to know. Right? You have nothing that you, you can, if, if we can flash your whole mind up in front of the church and we watch that movie, would it be PG, G, or rated R? What happened? You can't speak? Well, I'm glad you're not speaking because we are all, to a certain extent, have some things we don't really conquer yet in our lives that we wish you would not know. Especially if you're a gossiper. When your friend, your best friend is a gossiper, your soul is in jeopardy. We're talking about prayer, right? Let's get to it. Number five, your feet shod with, verse 15, shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And number six, you have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is in verse 17. And when Paul is finished with all of this armor that you've got, he's just wearing the armor and walking around. No, here is what he said you must do. Everyone, verse 18, praying, always how much always. say it again always. praying always see prayer is taking away dependency on your smartness and putting your confidence in God you're prayerless you're powerless 
You're prayerless, you have no defenses against the devil. You can wear the whole armor and the devil puts you in a casket with your armor. If your armor, if your life is not activated spiritually. Can a dead man go in an armor? Yes. You can put a dead man in an armor and bury him. And your faith without works is dead. And like Brother Sam said last night, prayer is like oxygen to the natural man. Prayer is the oxygen to your spiritual growth. As you need air to breathe, you need prayer to spiritually survive this world. And Paul went on here, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all men. And if that's not all, he says, and pray for me, pray for the preacher. When you pray for the preacher every day of your life, you will find the preacher's words will change your life because you've prepared a relationship with the preacher by praying for him. Amen. And the form of discipleship God has for today's world is a whole lot different than it was 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, follow me. They left all and they followed him. I don't want you all following me like that. He said, Dorcas, don't follow me like that. Brother Sam, <laughs> don't leave your wife and follow me. Don't follow me physically, but you can follow me in many ways spiritually. I stream these messages and I have an app called Spotify. You can follow me. You can follow me online. You can follow what I do online. It's today's world. Discipleship has revolutionized itself. And you can follow a man of God today. Even though you might not even see him every day on a literal basis. Because of the society that we live in. And if you pray every day for your enemy, you will love your enemy. If you pray for your pastor every day, his words will become light unto you. Yes. And so one last scripture, and I'm finished. Uh, Paul says, pray that I'll be bold to speak. And so back to uh, Second Peter, uh, the second Peter, uh, the uh, second, first chapter of Second Peter. Uh, Peter is making, uh, no, it's yes. Sorry, I'm in Timothy. In 2 Peter, uh, Peter is making a statement here. Uh, let me get it quickly. There we go. In, in chapter 1 and verse 20, he says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy of old came not, uh, it came not of old time came not by the will of man, but holy men of God. First of all, there were godly men. Holy men of God speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Not worldly men, not carnal men, not sinful men, holy men. For God to raise up preachers and to use them to save individuals, they have to lose the spirit of harmonies. 
Because Hamanias had one false doctrine, and what Paul said about Hamanias, his word will eat as does a canker. May God help us today that we would honor his word and we would submit ourselves. And if ever there was a time where God's people need to pray, it is today. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day we spent in your house. We thank you for this message, O oh God, reminding us as to the importance of prayer. Father, thank you for your son Jesus being this remarkable example that has set an example for us in every aspect of his life, especially when it comes to prayer and godly living. Teach us to pray, Lord. Give us this desire to understand the reality and importance of prayer. Father, help us not to be carnal. Lord, but like Billy Graham said many years ago, do it again, Lord. Do it again. Let your spirit touch lives of men today that they might proclaim your word and influence an, a, a, a restoration a, not only a reformation, Lord, but a transformation of the world. Let there be a revival among God's, your people, Father. Please, O oh God, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray, Father. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen.